Hello, and welcome to the New Life Lutheran Podcast, where new life in Christ is celebrated, and we explore together how to live the Christian life with excellence. Thanks for listening today. You can find our podcast at nllutheranpodcast.com. You can also subscribe on Podbean, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or Google Play Music. If you have any questions for Pastor Eric or would like to suggest topics for our podcast, you can email him at eric.anderson, that's E-R-I-K dot A-N-D-E-R-S-O-N at nllutheran.com. Let's get growing. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery. And making her stand before all of them, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. When they heard it, they went away, one by one, beginning with the elders. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus straightened up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. The Gospel of the Lord. Well, I am Pastor Ben. It's my privilege this morning to share God's word with you. And I want to open up a question for you, whether you're here in person or watching online. But how close to heaven have you gotten? Now, what I'm not asking you is to share a near-death experience, right? That's a totally different conversation for a totally different day. What I'm asking you is, what are the moments in your life when you've just stopped and thought, if I could capture this moment, it would really feel like heaven, right? That was a little slice of heaven. And if I could take that moment and extend it out for eternity, man, this has to be how perfect heaven could be. Now, we all have one of these moments, and, and I know that you have one of these moments. It might be the birth of your child, right? Maybe you had a son or a daughter or maybe a grandchild, and you thought, this is such a special and perfect moment. Maybe for you, it was a family vacation that just worked perfectly. You went to some tropical place, and, and it was absolutely perfect, and you hated coming back because you just wanted to live in that moment forever, or maybe for you, it was something else, right? Maybe it was this perfect dessert that you finally made, you finally crafted it, finally mastered it. Or maybe it was when the Cubs finally won the World Series, right? And you felt that moment of elation and you're like, this is perfect. And if I could just hold on to it and jar up this moment and really put it on my shelf, that's what heaven would be like. We all have one of these moments. I have one of these moments. Mine actually took place in Iowa, which right now you're thinking... How is that even possible? I mean, nothing heavenly happens in Iowa, but hang with me, I'll explain. I was serving at a church in Iowa, and when I showed up, I quickly learned they had some very strict vacation policy. So, for example, the first year I was there, I received 
zero vacation time. The second week I got one week that I could earn. And then the third year was the same. But they did have this little loophole. I could bank up to one week of vacation time. So my first two years of being at this church, I banked up those two weeks and then I put it into the third year. Now you might be wondering, why would you do this, right? Why would you bank up for two years and then use it all in one year? Well, the answer was, I was going to get married. So I needed a week to get married, right? A week for the wedding. And then I wanted a week for the honeymoon. Now, you have to imagine, if I'm going to work for two years straight without a break, that honeymoon better be pretty special. See, I, I banked up not only all that time, but I also banked up all of my money over that time. And I took Ashley on a cruise to Alaska. Now, I don't know if you guys have been on a cruise before, but it was absolutely amazing. Not just the beauty of God's creation in Alaska, which is, I'll just tell you, it's breathtaking. But if you get on a cruise, if you ever get that opportunity, when you get on there, they treat you like royalty. Everything, once you step on, is free, right? You want dessert? They'll bring you dessert. You want another dessert? They'll bring you another dessert. You want some lobster? They'll bring you some lobster. It was absolutely perfect. All the food and all the entertainment, I mean, it was literally like heaven. And I remember when the week ended, it was so sad because we knew the real world was waiting for us once again. Work was waiting for us once again. But you probably had these moments. And when you experience these moments and when you're explaining to somebody, you probably say, this was a little taste or this was a little slice of heaven. And if you were to say that, everyone would understand what you're talking about, right? We all get that a little taste of heaven means this moment was perfect, This moment was a moment of perfection. In fact, if you spoke about heaven to any American in our nation, did you know that 72% of Americans would believe in a place of perfection? Now, I have to believe that even the 28% that don't believe in a literal heaven, that they do wish there was a literal heaven, right? They do wish there was a place of perfection. But here's where we run into the problem. You see, we aren't perfect, which means if we take our imperfection into a place of perfection, that place stops being perfect simply by having us there. So we run into this problem. We run into this tension. And so we need to resolve this problem this morning. And we're going to dive into the book of John and see what God has for us this morning. And this is how the writing begins. Early in the morning, he came again to the temple. And so if you've been here over the last number of weeks, we've been right in the middle of a sermon series called Unfiltered Jesus. So the he that we're talking about is Jesus. And so we find him in the temple, which is in Jerusalem. But the conversation that we've been having week after week after week is who was Jesus really? You see, we all have this kind of concept of who Jesus was. And we kind of have built our Christianity around that concept of who Jesus was. But sometimes we encounter sections of scripture that challenge our understanding of Jesus and ultimately challenge our understanding of Christianity. And so we want the real unfiltered Jesus. So we've been diving into all these very hard teachings, all these very hard realities of history, of how Jesus acted in certain situations. And that's what we're going to do today. We're going to step into this moment once again and see something pretty challenging for each and every one of us. But as he was at the temple, this is what happened. All the people came to him, and he sat down and began to teach them. 
So Jesus at this point in time was incredibly popular. He was a miracle worker, one, which drew a crowd. He was also a great teacher and storyteller. And so was, he was just kind of this magnetic individual. He had a magnetic personality. And so when he showed up to places, people noticed him, right? As he was walking to the temple, people saw him and they started talking. Jesus is going to the temple. Let's go to the temple, right? And this crowd began to gather. And when the crowd gathered, he taught them eternal truth. And so he would sit down, he would take the posture of a teacher And then he would share that eternal truth with them to impact their eternity and to impact their present. Well, in the midst of this conversation, in the midst of his teaching, something very strange happens. This is what we read. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and making her stand before all of them. So this is so weird. So the religious elites of that day, the religious teachers of that day, they bring this lady right in front of Jesus. And the whole crowd is thinking, what are they doing? What do they want? I mean, this would be so weird. Imagine somebody doing that right now. I'm in the middle of my sermon and someone brings some lady up here and and they put her on display. They all wonder, what is wrong with these people? That's what the crowd was thinking. They were trying to understand why that lady was there. Now, maybe they thought, maybe one of us was an eyewitness, right? Maybe there's somebody in the crowd who actually saw this happen, and they need him for the legal proceedings. Maybe Jesus saw it happen, and they need him for the legal proceedings. But as the story goes on, we see that's not actually the case. This is what happens next. They said to him, teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. In other words, we don't need eyewitnesses. There are plenty of eyewitnesses. Right, she was caught in the middle of having adultery. We know beyond a shadow of a doubt what she has done. But once again, they're thinking, why is this happening? Right? Why is she on display? She should be with the leaders, right? She should be in the court proceeding, not here in the middle of a teaching. Once again, we begin to see more clarity. This is what takes place. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? So they asked Jesus this question, which is so weird. Now, it doesn't seem so weird to us because in our day, we have politicians, right? And so there's laws on our books and the politicians debate over whether those laws should stay in place or removed, right? And so we we have this back and forth with our politicians. but, But in this day, especially this law, it was not up for debate, Right? This was not a conversation that anyone was having, whether we should remove this law or get rid of this law, or maybe this wasn't fair. That, that's not what's happening. See, what they're doing is they're pitting Jesus up against God's law that he gave directly to the people. So this question was very strange and very bizarre. But we're going to understand what they were trying to do. This is what we read. They said this to test him so that they might have some charge to bring against him. So now we get what they're doing, right? These religious elites, they're trying to trap Jesus because for them, Jesus was incredibly convenient. He was a teacher that was very popular, a teacher that oftentimes confronts them, their issues. And sometimes he would teach things counter to how they wanted people to understand the world. And so they want to take him down, to take him out. They want to reduce his popularity, In fact, you know already, if you were last week, this is not the first time this has happened. Last week, we ran into this this moment in history 
where Jesus and his followers, his disciples, were, were walking to essentially church. Right? They were going to church. It was on the Sabbath. And as they're walking, they were eating the snack out of this field. Right, They're eating the heads of grain. And the Pharisees, they saw them. These disciples were breaking these Pharisees' rules. Now, to understand that, we need to understand how the Pharisees worked. God had his law, and then the Pharisees had rules they put on top of that law because they were so concerned about people breaking God's law that what they did was they would add layer upon layer upon layer upon layer of rules to keep them far away from God's law. So that's what they would do. In fact, we still do this in our modern day, right? We still have Christian circles that do this, right? We, we talk about this idea of modesty. And so some Christians are like, well, if we want to be modest, right? If we want to be careful about that area, let's just wear like all black, right? And we do things like this. Or we think, hey, there's some music out there that's bad, so let's only listen to Christian music. And then what we unintentionally do is we hold people accountable to the laws that we've added to God's law, God's perfect law. And that's what the Pharisees did. They had their rules in addition to God's law, and they're holding people accountable to those rules. And so when they looked at the disciples, they said, you are breaking our rules. And Jesus took that as an opportunity to peel back their rules and point at God's law given to us for our well-being. Now, that was too much for them, and they weren't done. So this time, they had a different strategy. They took God's law. Hey, Jesus, what are you going to do about God's law? They were hoping to trap him because if he turned on God's law, then that was the end of his ministry. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. So Jesus does something pretty weird to us, but actually to them, they would understand the implication of this. You see, if you were in a court proceeding in that day, when the judge was about to make the judgment, he actually kneeled down and he would write out his judgment. He wanted to perfect his statement. And so he would write it down until it was perfectly written. And then he would stand up and he would read the statement. His judgment was absolutely precise. And so Jesus kneels down because they have put him in the role of the judge by asking him this question. Well, this is what happens next. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let anyone among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. So he stands up because they're pestering him, right? It says they kept on questioning him. They're trying to distract him and throw him off his game. They want him to answer in a way that's going to end to his destruction. He stands up and he says this amazing statement. If you are perfect, I give you the right to take this woman out for her sin. And once again, he bent down and he wrote on the ground. Once again, he just pauses and he leaves this statement just floating in the air, forcing them to think about their own life and to think, man, who am I really? If I got drug up here and put on display and everyone saw my whole life, who am I? And their response, when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. When they were confronted with their own reality and their own sin, once they recognized it, they walked away. In fact, the whole crowd walked away because every one of them sooner or later realized there was something in their life that had brought sin in and imperfection in. In fact, it says the elders left first because they were probably the wisest. 
They had lived the most life. And so they thought through their life and it didn't take them very long to realize, no, I fall short too. And even the youngest and most naive finally made their way away because they thought through the life and they knew there was some sin. There was some, something that fell short in their lives. Well, this is what happens next. Jesus straightened up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? So Jesus stands up. Now it's just him and the woman. And he makes a statement. Has no one condemned you? Is, is everyone gone? Now, I've got to be honest. If you're like me, if you, if you put yourself in this situation, not as the woman, but as the spouse, is this really the outcome? Because it looks like Jesus is just going to let her get off scot-free. I mean, if you're the husband and this is your wife, or you are the wife and husband in this scenario, don't you want him to do something? Doesn't she deserve some sort of punishment? See, there's that tension that we wrestle with in the reality of the story. But this is what Jesus says to her. Neither do I condemn you. Go your way, and from now on, do not sin again. Do not sin again. He's saying that is sin. And sin always brings damage into her life. And she's going to have to live with that, right? She's cheated on her husband. She's destroyed her family. She's alienated her kids. She's destroyed another person's family more than likely. I mean, there is ripple effects through her life that will be with her forever. That's what sin does. It destroys our life. And she's going to have to live with that reality forever. When she walks into the market, People are going to whisper and point and talk about what she had done. But Jesus, though he points at the reality, says these words. Don't do that again. Right? Go in a different direction. But our unfiltered Jesus in our lives, in the modern day, he has to point at sin in our lives so we realize our shortcomings and our failures so we can recognize the need for our savior. In fact, this is what we see today. This is the thing that we can put our, our hands around and understand and, and take home and, and really see the love of Christ. That if we really want to follow an unfiltered Jesus, we're going to have to realize that he's going to point at the harsh reality of our situation. In fact, the closer that we get to a perfect Christ, the closer we get to Jesus, who is perfect in everything, the more that we realize how far that we fall short. And that's uncomfortable, isn't it? That's not how we want people to see us. Because I don't know about you, but I want people to think I'm pretty great. I want people to think that I'm perfect if I could. But we don't want people to see us as broken and sinful and imperfect. And this is probably why in America, if you were to tell people about heaven, 72% of people would say, yes, heaven is a real place. It's a perfect place but only 52% of people would say hell is a real place because heaven is really convenient and hell, that's really inconvenience. But here's the trouble when it comes to any perfect place. If we were to take the reality that we are broken, that we are sinful and we are imperfect and we take ourselves and put ourselves into a place of perfection, if we put ourselves and our sinful selves into heaven, it would literally become hell. 
And that's where Jesus steps in. Jesus comes to us. Not to find who's perfect in the room and bring them to his perfect kingdom, because he would find nobody. He comes to us. He points at us and says, you are sinful, but I have a solution. I want to wash you clean. I want to forgive you. I want to place my perfection upon you through a real relationship with you. And then because of that relationship and because of that newfound perfection from me given to you, I'm going to bring you into this place of perfection. That's what our unfiltered Jesus does. He points at our sin because he loves us, because he wants us to realize that we fall short and we need him. And then he grabs us by the hand and he leads us into his kingdom. 